Today's episode of the NFL Show is brought to you by State Farm. When you need a game plan for protection, State Farm agents are here to help. With personalized service, agents are available to talk in person, over text, or through the State Farm app. So go with the one with coverage and agents you can count on. Find an agent in your neighborhood today. State Farm. Talk to an agent today. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show. I'm Robert Mays, joined as always by Kevin Clark. Kevin, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Uh, a little let down by the trade deadline, but you know, listen, we got some action beforehand, and so let's not let's not get greedy. That's true, but I was sitting there on the couch. I thought there were going to be some big moves. There was nothing. We're going to get to that. I just want to say before we start the show that to thank DK for filling in on Sunday night, I had a little bit of a snafu with my travel. I was at a wedding in Austin. Uh, It was not because the Bears lost, (laughs) which some people thought. I showed up after the double doink game. I have moved on, and I have come to bat after worse. So don't think a Bears loss is going to keep me from doing the show. There have been terrible, terrible Bears losses. How dare listeners think you still have the capacity to feel pain? That's exactly right. I mean, you think this was the tipping point? Trubisky didn't even play that badly. Uh, There were some bad moments, but for the most part, it was one of his better games. So trust me, it's gotten much lower than this. It will continue to get lower than this, and I will be back doing the show. We will talk about the Bears in a bit. Yeah, I know. We certainly will. Before we get to that, You tried to get out of it. I wanted to talk about some different teams. Uh, it was, I was not trying to weasel out of it. I, Again, for the second time this week, I'm not trying to weasel out of talking about the Bears. I don't mind. I also want people to know, most of the time when we talk about them on this show, it's because you ask no, to. You well, yeah, no, because you Because you never bring it up. I know, because I don't like talking about it. I assume people think I think that me. if I never met, after the double doink game, if I was like, we're just going to focus on the other wild card game, you'd be like, that's fine. I, they're totally fine. We're just we're never going to bring up the that double That was Chargers-Ravens that day. We yeah. just could have talked about Chargers-Ravens the Fantastic. whole time. It's fine with me. All right. So let's talk about the trade deadline. Because obviously there were some moves before it happened. But it was kind of a dead trade deadline. And we thought it was going to be a lot more active, like we said on last week's show, just because there are so many teams that are bad this year. Yeah. The gulf between the good and bad is so large that it felt like a lot of these teams would make some moves just to recoup some value for players that won't be a part of their long-term plan. I mean, that's what the Dolphins have been doing this entire offseason. You you tweeted about it. I tweeted about it. There is such a chasm between Miami and their long-term plan and the the lack of long-term plans that exist in places like Cincinnati or Washington. So which team surprised you the most with some of their non-moves and which team do you think hurt themselves the most by going that route? Well, I was surprised in general by Andy Dalton's benching. Andy Dalton, as Zach Taylor said was not the problem. And so you bench him on the morning of the trade deadline. When that move was made, the only thing I think of was they were going to trade him. There's no real reason to, you know what Andy Dalton can do. Um, They want to see Ryan Finley, who I saw in preseason. I was not, with the one practice I was at, I was not hugely impressed by him, but I guess they want to see him in the game. Um, Which I think makes sense. That makes sense to me based on where they're going. If they know Andy Dalton isn't the answer, why not see what you can get out of Ryan Lindley for half a season? Sure, but you could have gotten a nice little pick. I mean, what I tweeted about... But they think that the turnaround is a little too fast, though. That's what I was thinking, too. But but here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying, okay? the, The exact phrase I tweeted was, the Dolphins figured out they sucked months ago and planned ahead. Everybody else just realized they sucked. The Bengals knew what Andy Dalton was. They didn't, there was no law that said they couldn't bench him until the morning of the trade deadline. They could have planned ahead for this, yet they are just a conservative franchise that doesn't like to do things like the Dolphins. What the Dolphins are doing is fairly aggressive. Just as far as training way, 
trading away Minka Fitzpatrick. I mean, they're doing what the what the Browns did a couple of years ago. They're not the first team to do it, but they are doing something that no other team is doing right now. Every the Dolphins other are doing team, it to a more. The Dolphins is a little bit more pronounced. The the Browns didn't trade guys with multiple years left. There were high picks on their rookie contracts. Sure, if, but, if they did, I don't remember it. But what I'm saying is that. Well, I mean, the Brock Osweiler salary dump. I mean, that, it was that stuff was like similar, that yes. they were doing that was outside of the box. But what sure. I'm saying is that everybody else is just being bad because they're bad, and the Dolphins are being bad for a reason. And I think that's the big difference. And I'm not saying the Dolphins are going to be good in three years. I'm not saying that at all. But if you're the Redskins and you just randomly said, we're not going to trade Trent Williams, and then like five days before, you're like, oh, maybe. And then on it was Tuesday— like two days before. Well, yeah, and then on Tuesday, they're like, oh— yeah, we'll trade him. I mean, what kind of negotiating is that? You could have get there's this is a world where Laramie Tunson went for two first round picks. You've got Trent Williams. Trent Williams hates you. You're gonna be you're gonna lose anyway. You can get value for that. There are there's no you know, we've we've talked about it so many times. I, I think I started off saying this the first regular season podcast we did when we were talking about lessons we learned from training camp. The league is not nearly as progressive as we think. The league is not nearly as in step with what we talked about this podcast, talking about decision-making, how to run a franchise, whatever that is. There are a lot of teams who are running it like 1997, okay? And there are essentially two NFLs. And that's why people like the Chiefs or the Patriots or the Ravens or the Eagles in, in most years, um, you know, last seven weeks notwithstanding. That is why a lot, we'll of those, a lot of those teams are pretty good all the time or really good all the time or Super Bowl contenders all the time because they're smarter than some of these other teams who have no idea how to run an organization. The, the Trent Williams thing is malpractice. It, it's absolutely unacceptable to not try to go get something for him. It's, a, it's just vindictive. They just don't want to give him what he wants. It, how would you possibly think it's not worth getting a second round pick, a second round pick for Trent Williams right now, based on where you're going. Do you think that Trent Williams is still going to be playing when you're a contender? There's no chance. Let me and tell you something. Feel- let me let me tell you when I look at when I look at those moves and I look at everything the Redskins have done over the past seven weeks and maybe the past seven years. Do you know the only? Do you know <laughs> the past seventeen years? Do you know the only thing that explains it? There's only one thing that explains it. They don't give a damn about winning. Yeah, that's it. They don't care about I, winning. I, I just if wrote you're about it. making these moves, and you're gonna say, you know what? Uh, we could get a couple first round picks, or at least a first round pick for Trent Williams, who hates us and is just not gonna play for us. Uh, but instead, we're gonna be vindictive and let him sit on the bench and just get in a weird feud with him. That says that you are prioritizing yourself and your feelings over winning. And if I was a Redskins fan, we're getting in the zone. Where if you're a Redskins fan, I, I am I'm okay letting you out of your contract and becoming a fan of another team. Oh, I think you could have done it three years ago. I honestly think you could have. I, I just I when I wrote went back and wrote about them a few weeks ago, and you're just going down all of the crimes against football. It's a laundry list. It's unbelievable to look at it in its totality because you're 100 percent correct. They just don't give a shit. They do not give a shit about trying to do things the right way. It is all about just padding the pockets of these guys in charge and having this good old boys club. I wrote it. Drinking Coors Lights with your boss is not grounds for employment. And that's not even a pot shot. That's pretty much something that was written in the Washington Post story about the partnership between Bruce Allen and Dan Snyder. Mm -hmm. They drink together at midnight, like hang out. It's just... If that's the type of decision you're making about who's going to run your franchise, your franchise is always going to be bad. At least with Cincinnati, 
I can understand how this happens. And it's not just evil's the wrong word, but, but it's not just cravenness that leads the Bengals to this point. It's being conservative. It's just not being the type of franchise that does these sorts of things. In the end, I feel like it gets you to a similar place, which is why those are the worst two teams in the league outside of Miami right now. But the motivations are different for it. When it comes to Dalton, I get why no one traded for him because it's such a huge move to trade for a quarterback to know that he was probably available or for it to be that clear only hours before the trade deadline. Think about all the machinations you'd have to go through to trade for him in those hours. You'd have to get your owner to sign off on it. It's a massive move. So that's why I just didn't think it was going to happen. I also think that trading for a quarterback midseason, there's diminishing returns. You're not going to, it's not going to transform who you are. But when it comes to people like Geno Atkins, right? Mm -hmm. You can argue that AJ Green gives you the best chance to evaluate Ryan Finley. Fine. I think it's not a good argument, but I understand it. When it comes to guys like Geno Atkins or Carlos Dunlap, who can be moved and are valuable, what is the value in keeping them at this point? Where are you going to be in three years when they're probably gone? Yeah, Geno Atkins is signed through 2022, at which point he'll be 34 years old. Yes, I'll be I 34 can, years old. I can understand keeping Geno Atkins. I, I mean, Geno Atkins at his best is an elite, elite player. And if you think you're two years away, you probably want Geno Atkins. Uh, the cap hit is... But are they two years away? But, and maybe, the, but I, listen, but, but I'm what I'm... I mean, if two is a superstar, I guess I get it. Maybe, but so his cap hit in 2021 is $14 million. I'm totally fine with that. I'm yeah, in. Yeah, I can understand I'm that. in on, on, on $14 million for Geno Atkins. I understand what you're saying. Listen, if some team wanted to overpay and give some, like if somebody lost their mind, tried to give the Jalen Ramsey deal for, G, for Geno Atkins, I'm, I'm, I'd be fine taking that. But I, I understand why you wouldn't want to ship him out for a second round pick. What about for a first round pick? Do you think it'd be smart to keep him if somebody offered you a first round pick for Geno Atkins? I don't. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I just don't think it is, man. I just, I, I, I get your argument and I get if, because we've seen teams turn it around quickly and it's be, it's so important if you get the quarterback to be able to do that. And let's say they do pick second overall yeah. and Justin Herbert's a superstar. Maybe it happens quicker than we feel, but I just think that that defense is such a mess and you're not Geno Atkins and a couple guys away from fixing it. So even if you bring in two and next year, the infrastructure in that team or two or whoever it is, the infrastructure with that team is so inherently broken. I just feel like it's worth trying to start rebuilding it from the bottom up. Again, though, this isn't a team that's willing to make that drastic of a decision. Yeah, Mike Brown is not going to have a process-style rebuild. That's, that will yes. not be happening. Um, he's a football guy. I think he... Listen, the Bengals have brought in talent over the years under his tenure. I mean, it's a bit like... I, I obviously it's it's completely different because they don't spend nearly as much money and don't have an interest in it. But it's not unlike Jerry Jones, where the owner is the GM essentially, and they have drafted pretty well over the course of that tenure. I mean, there, it's not like there hasn't been talent. not over the last four years, and that's why the bottom. I understand out. that, but they do have players like William Jackson. They fit on who I think are you know are really good. But I you know it's not like it's not like the Bengals are the Bengals of the '90s, even though Mike Brown was was under no, that not too. At all. And so I, I think this is just a disaster of a year. I think Bengals fans are getting fed up with Zach Taylor. I'd give him another chance to kind of build another team and see how it goes. But I, I just don't know where this franchise is headed right now. I said their season was over in July. And yeah. you thought that was crazy for me to say. Well, I, the writing was I, on the wall. I said it was over in August when A.J. Green got hurt on a high school field. I, th I think that's about when I said it. But even before that, when Jonah well, Williams got hurt. You had it a week hurt, before. 
and then I, and, and then was, I called. It, it was, was like coming. it was like networks on election night. You called the Bengals <laughs> season over before I did. I mean, it's just been such a disaster in so many ways. I don't want to get down the Bengals rabbit hole here, but just think about all the offensive linemen they've missed on. And obviously, if Williams was in, that's a little bit of a different story. I think the Bengals left tackle right now is John Jerry. John Jerry wasn't a starting caliber guard like three years ago. And now he's their left tackle. Their first round center that they picked last year has to play guard and he's terrible. It's really been such a bad run for them. And that's the problem, right? Like Green Bay had a little bit of a bad run for a while. I mean, in the last few years, it's been fine. They hit on Alexander, they hit on Kenny Clark. But before that, in the Dayton Jones range, it was bad. And they've finally learned that you need to supplement that roster with some sort of outside talent when you're not crushing every single draft pick. And the Bengals have just refused to do it. So you're left with these barren teams because they've been unable to add talent to them in any sort of way. I mean, Bobby Hart's on this team. Yes, they re-signed Bobby Hart. They re-signed him in the offseason. That was one of their big moves in free agency. Like, that's what this team does. It's just, I cannot imagine what it would be like to be a Bengals fan. I mean, my team sucks right now. Sure does. But at least there's been some ambition to some degree about trying to win football games. Uh, I guess, yeah. I mean, it, it is, it's a very confusing franchise. Hey, would you rather be a Bengals fan or a Redskins fan? I'd rather be a Bengals. Bet, yeah, Bengals, me too. 100%. Me too. Because again, it, it's not this level of just, they're not spitting in your face constantly. I think it's more just being a little bit old school and conservative and not understanding how this stuff works rather than we're just going to actively try to, what's the word I'm looking for? Actively antagonize you. Yeah. They're not trying to do that. It feels like the Redskins are. The Redskins, I mean, Bruce Allen is just a wrestling heel at this point. He really is. It's unbelievable. He should just come out to some sort of like Vince McMahon-esque music every single time he comes out for a press conference. Oh my God. It, I, need, I need to stop you right now. John Keim has tweeted this out. The Redskins are dipping footballs in water to get, to get used to possible bad weather on Sunday in Buffalo. As of now, there is no rain in the forecast. It's just Buffalo, so the weather's terrible. <laughs> the weather was pretty bad when I was in Buffalo a couple weeks ago. But I, I, just, I just love the idea of Bill Callahan just just saying the jury's still out on science and dipping so, dipping water and uh, dipping balls in water. <laughs> the jury's still out on science. So what's the let, before we move on here? Let, I want to get through the particulars of the Trent Williams thing very quickly. So wasn't it originally announced that he had passed his physical? Well, no, he had helmet, he had helmet said, discomfort. It's it's amazing. I, I'm rooting for Trent. He got Williams his helmet so on and said, thing. "I had surgery. My my helmet hurts." Uh, we, we're in a golden age of helmet-related helmet-related scandals. We really are. And now it's time for the State Farm Safe Bet of the Week, the player you can count on. When you need a game plan for protection, State Farm agents are here to help. With personalized service, agents are available to talk in person, over text, or through the State Farm app. So go with the one with coverage and agents you can count on. Find an agent in your neighborhood today. Robert, we want to talk about a breakout star for the Green Bay Packers, Mr. Aaron Jones. We certainly do. He has been such a blast to watch this year, and a big part of it has been the way that the Packers have used yep. him. You know, last season, he only had, I think, 34 targets. I think 35. He had 34 coming into last week, and then he had a monster game. The Green Bay Packers before this year really didn't use their running backs in the passing game. It, it wasn't a big part of the They didn't offense. use their running backs at all, really. Period. They had the second highest passing percentage in the league last year, I believe, outside of Pittsburgh. So we just didn't really see an offense that leaned on the running backs to this degree. And we're really finding out what sort of talent level and what sort of just talent 
variety Aaron Jones has. To be able to not just use him in the screen game and to be able to use him split out to take advantage of linebackers. I mean, this is a Chargers defense that has struggled mightily stopping the run and they don't have much talent on the second level. And I just feel like this is the type of day where Aaron Jones could go nuts as both a runner and a receiver. Yep, we've been talking about the way Green Bay was using their running back center, Mike McCarthy. They, I mean, it was just not logical. The running back position has changed. It will never matter like it did 10, 15, 20 years ago, but you can make it matter by using them in the passing game, using them creatively, and that's what Matt LaFleur has done. 20 touches last week for 226 yards. Robert, he was the first First Packers running back with 150 receiving yards in a game since the merger. And he could have had more if he didn't step out of bounds on that play. Uh, It really is remarkable to see just how drastically, how drastically different the usage is. I mean, this is a team that had success under McCarthy just in such a different way. And I know that running the ball and having it be the key of your offense and it be the center, the focal point of your offense is not necessarily a good thing, but you can find a balance where your under center running game is a huge part of what you do and still maintain efficiency. And I think the Packers have really started to strike that balance. Yep. Okay. So we like Aaron Jones against the chargers this weekend. State farm. Talk to an agent today. Okay. Let's move on. Let's get to this week's take shop. Kevin, why don't you start us off? Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, both players of huge the week. weeks. Both players of the week in their respective conferences. That might happen a lot. The Manning brothers also did this. Based on pure talent, based on pure talent, not fame, not money, not anything else, my take shop is that I think that the Bosa brothers are going to retire being the best brother duo in the history of football. So you're discounting the Mannings in this scenario Uh, based on the talent thing. So Peyton Manning is the most talented player on the list of people who are brothers, right? Does that make sense? So like, he's number one. If you were just going to take everybody on this list, he's number one. Eli is not as good as Peyton Manning. That's just a little bit of a newsflash for you guys. So here are the candidates. Thanks, buddy. I'm glad you're here. Right now, Kelsey brothers. The Griffin brothers, obviously, are in the league right now. Uh, The Watt brothers, we're going to, you know, the Gronks, that that whole deal, right? The Griffins? Yeah, the, the guys who play in Seattle. Oh, the Griffins. Yeah. I thought you were talking about Michael Griffin because that I mean I was like, I don't think he's been in the league for a while. No, 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 no. But he also had a brother. Uh, the Bennett brothers. Continue. The Kendricks. Those, those, are, those are the candidates now. When you dip into retired people, it gets more interesting. So the Barber brothers, obviously. The Longs, featuring ringer contributor Chris Long and current bear Kyle Long, who is uh, out for the year. Randall and Sam Cunningham, which I, I, I think that's an underrated uh, That's an underrated that's one. An underrated one. Uh, Vernon Avante Davis. Is who? Sure. I just I just thought about whether or not Vontae Davis was in the league, and then I remember he retired at halftime. So now I'm happy. Now I'm happier than I was when I started this. The McCown, the McCowns, which obviously are right there with the Manning brothers, is so legendary di- dynasties. The Pouncy Twins. Let's just set them aside for a second. And then I think that this these two have an argument to be the most talented brothers. One and two, Sterling and Shannon Sharp. So I think that you put. The Manning brothers and Sterling and Shannon Sharp at the very top. And depending how you feel about Eli Manning, you can kind of throw them in in either direction as one and two. I think the Bosa brothers have a chance to not only be in that group, but possibly if you've seen them over the past couple of weeks and couple of years, they have the chance to, to be number one. Are any of those pairings both in the Hall of Fame? Because Sterling Sharp well, is Ster- not. Sterling Sharp should be, but he had to retire yes. because of back injury. He was like the Gronkowski of of his day, even though he was a wide receiver. Because everyone's that's, he's been on like 
one of those, you know, who should be next lists when it yes. comes to the Hall of Fame. A lot of guys who were around covering the league back then are big Sterling Sharp believers. I believe Peter King has always been kind of well, you know, the you know, the big thing, the big thing is that he didn't, uh, he never talked to the media like ever. So that's probably and why. so and so no no and so like people people say that that's like a huge was a huge problem for him. And there's a couple of baseball guys like that too who are just so anti-media that they never yeah. they never um, got the goodwill of of the writers. I think that has something to do with it. But he was so freaking talented. Yeah, he was um, incredible. He played, Which is hilarious now that Shannon Sharp is his brother who he played, talked constantly and is now host the show with Skip Bayless. He played for, from 88 to 94. Well, Sterling Sharp was on TV too. I mean, it was weird. But he played from 88 to 94. He made five Pro Bowls, three first-team All-Pros, three-time NFL receptions leader, two-time uh, touchdown leader. By the way, he wasn't, you know, 88, he came pre-Brett Favre. Yeah, like he exactly. got He got some Brett Favre but he was basically tailing out at that point because of injuries. So anyway, let's not get into a Sterling Sharp Hall of Fame discussion. We don't have to do that. We don't it's have just, to I do just that. think it's interesting because Eli, I, I, think, I, think, think, Eli, I think Eli will get in the Hall of Fame because, Which of, the, I think because is of the voters. But yes. that's fine. Yes. I, I think that's ridiculous. Do you, think so there's I, a, do you think there's a case to be made that the Kelsey brothers would? If Travis becomes sort of the, this generation's crop. I just don't think, I think Jay, the, the bar for Jason's way too high. I Offensive agree. lineman, I agree. you have to be transcendent to make it. I agree. And while he's been the best center in the league multiple times, I mean, guys like Steve Hutchinson can't get into the Hall of Fame. I mean, he was the best guard in the league for a decade. So it, I just think it's really difficult. I think Travis Kelsey with the right numbers probably could. I think that the Super Bowl, I think that the problem with offensive line analysis is a lot of times it's just, who who won and and yeah. Kelsey did win a Super Bowl. Who's on that's good teams. that's why. Yeah. I mean, so I don't think either of the Kelsey brothers would get in. But I was just throwing that out there. Is you know if their careers continue, it's funny. I think Tiki, Tiki Barber. I think there was a chance. There's a, there's a one in in one of the many multiverses. There was a chance if Tiki Barber hadn't retired to go be a pundit that that he could have just hung around and and joined his brother. Maybe I mean Tiki Barber made one first team All Pro team. No, and I know, he played in the league for ten years. I understand that, but if he kept going and he, you know, he was on another Super Bowl team, all this stuff, like you just never know on that stuff. Yeah, I maybe mean, if he's on that 07 Super Bowl team because he retired the year before. Yeah, you, I could see that argument. I mean, is, it's, isn't Jerome Bettis in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, because he played for like sixty years. Yeah, and he won won multiple Super Bowls. Yeah, he was. All, uh, he it's was interesting to me. How Jerome, many Jerome Bettis is much better than Jiggy Barber for the record. I'm just saying. When, yes, you, when you talk correct. about running backs who hang out and win a lot, sometimes they get in. Yeah, there's a chance like Frank Gore gets into the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's. I think so, he will. I which is based on production in general. I. It's interesting to me how many guys from the same that are brothers have been picked in the first round together. Yeah, I think the, the Pounceys both were. Uh, the Mannings obviously were both the number one overall Ver, pick. Ver, uh, Vernon Avante. Vernon and Vontae Davis were both first round picks. And it's, I, you think about the fact that Sterling Sharp or Shannon Sharp was so good in his career. But one of the things about Shannon Sharp is that he was a seventh round pick and his brother was the seventh overall pick, yeah. which I think I find that fascinating. The, lo- the longs, the, the longs were first round picks too. The longs are both first round picks. Yep. Kyle was the 20th. I want to say he was the uh, 20th overall pick. That's right. And, and, but the Boses are up there. I mean, you have a number two overall pick and a number three overall pick in terms of talent. That's pretty damn good. I, I think Joey's really good. I think that Nick is currently having a better season than Joey's ever had in the entire, in his entire career. Interesting. I mean, he's been the most dominant edge rusher in football. Let me ask you. He's been so, so good. Do you mean it's not even just sacks? It's that the pressures, everything he's destroying turnovers. Yes. Do you think that there's um, a case to be made that he should win, that Nick should win Defensive Player of the Year on top of Rookie of the Year? Yes, absolutely. Do, do you have him as your 
When I that, did not pick him okay. because I think that it's tough for a rookie to win. I had a weird pick. pick. I don't know if we've run this. I picked Jamie Collins. Okay, I picked Stephon Gilmore. I'm a that little bit my, worried. I, I'm a little bit worried. It's like the 2002 Miami uh, Heisman voting where they just... It they're going to split them? There was just... People were just like, I'm going to vote for Ken Dorsey. It's like, what? Um, and so I think that the, there might just be a, a split and no Patriot wins defensive player of the year even though they should. The reason that I picked... Collins is that we could talk about this when we talk about the Patriots if we want, but the reason I pick Collins is just that he's doing so many different things. He'd be the first player in NFL history to get double digit sacks and five interceptions in the, in the same season because he's currently on pace to get that. Mm-hmm. He's also forced two fumbles. I just feel like it's so hard to do all the things he's doing well. And I, I'm probably putting the fact that he's making $3 million into the equation, and I think it's ridiculous. Gilmore's been really good, but the rest of that secondary has been excellent too. I mean, Jonathan Jones has been good. McCourty leads the league in interceptions. It, it's tough. I feel like, to me, the most outstanding player on that defense this year has been Jamie Collins. I can understand the arguments against that, though. Yeah, I mean, we can talk a little more about the Patriots defense later, but I just think that there's... I think that Stephon Gilmore, what he's doing and and basically shutting down one half of the field is, is What he allows amazing. them to do, I feel, I feel like, is definitely part of the conversation, for sure. Yeah. Okay, let's get to mine. I kind of think that the AFC South is going to have three playoff teams. Hmm. I really feel like the Jags are coming on. They're a strange team to me. In terms of what I thought they were going to be before the season and what they are now, not even just in terms of quality, but what they are, there's a strange disconnect to that because Minshew obviously is the weirdest thing. But what they're getting from Chark, the what their passing thing? offense looks like. Yeah. And then the defense... Even without Jalen Ramsey, that front can still just ruin a game together. And we see it all the time. Campbell is playing at such a high level. Josh Allen would win Defensive Rookie of the Year in any other season. It's just that Bosa is going nuts. So I don't know. I feel like right now, if you look at it, Buffalo is going to be probably 6-2 and two after this week, right? They have a That's game correct. against Cleveland after that. They're playing Washington. They have a game against Cleveland after that. They, that's a potential loss. I don't. I think they can beat the Browns. But the end of their schedule is absolutely brutal. So to end the season, they also have the Broncos, which the Broncos are not a terrible team. Their defense actually comes to play. There is a stretch where they have to play the Cowboys, the Bills, the Steelers, who aren't very good, and the Patriots. They easily could win th- or lose three of those games. So if they drop one that we don't expect – and they played the they played the Jets really close in Week One. They could end up nine and seven. And I think Jacksonville is playing well enough now that maybe they get to nine and seven. We get to a tiebreaker situation. I think that they are the sixth best team in the AFC right now. Okay, so they beat the Jets. This is the Jaguars. They had yes. the Texans, which is I, I think that in a weird way the the badness of that. I'm sorry, the goodness of that division and the badness of the AFC East will hurt the Jaguars. So they've got the Texans, That's the true. Colts, the Titans, the Bucks, the Chargers, the Raiders, the Falcons, the Colts. There is not, I think that the Falcons are the gimme win here. And I think everything else can is can go, I'm not saying 50-50, but some of these teams can pull off an upset. And I think that one of the things about making the playoffs this year 
is how many really just awful teams you have on your schedule. Whether that's yeah, the Falcons, and they don't have any left except the Falcons. But the Falcons, yeah, the, Falcons. the Cow, uh, the uh, the Cowboys. I was just looking at the, the name of the Cowboys. Sorry, uh, the, the the Falcons, the Bengals, the Dolphins, the Redskins. Those are the type of teams in your schedule. Uh, the Bills have had that. Uh, the Jets, obviously, we'll throw that in there. The Bills already beat the Jets in Week One. Um, so I think that there's it. This is a schedule year. Uh, I think this is probably one of the best examples of how unfair the NFL schedule can be, but that's just sort of how it goes. Yeah, I, I can see what you're saying. I also think that when looking at that stretch, when they have the Titans, the Jag, when the Titans, the Bucks, the Chargers, the Raiders, and the Falcons, they could win all five of those. So if you win one game against the Colts, you're, yeah. at, ten, you're at 10 wins. I mean, I understand that it's a long road to do it. I just feel like they're playing well enough where it might be on the table for them. I mean, this is a team that pushed the Titan, or excuse me, pushed the Texans and the Panthers recently. I mean, those are one score games. They were in both of those. So I could absolutely see them going on some sort of run. They have a, they're playing well I on like both them. sides of the ball in a way that I did not expect. They're fun. I like them. I don't want to make it seem like I'm anti-Jaguars. I'm hugely pro-Jaguars. I'm hu- hugely pro-Minshew. I just, it, it's, it's a math problem at this point. Yep, I can see that. All right, before we move on, let's take a quick break. The Google Assistant is ready to help you get more done with just your voice in the car, at home, and everywhere you take your phone. When you're driving and want to listen to this podcast hands-free, just say, Hey, Google, play the latest episode of the Ringer NFL show. Sure. Playing the latest episode of the Ringer NFL show. Hey, Google, pause podcast. A little help, hands-free. Just say, Hey, Google, to get started. All right. Let's get to the biggest three games of the week. Let's start with the Vikings at the Matt Moore-led Chiefs. I did not expect before the season for this to be a game between two of the best offenses in football, like two of legitimately the best three or four offenses in football. The Vikings, even though they didn't put up a ton of points last week against Washington, Cousins played fantastic again. I mean, do you see this game being a shootout if you're just trying to figure out how it's going to go? Yeah, I mean, I just think I thought saw an interesting stat last week um, that the the uh, the Chiefs used play action on forty six percent of their first downs in the first half, highest or and, the highest play action percentage of the week last yeah, week. Yeah, exactly. And in the first half, Matt Moore was seven for eleven, hundred and five yards touchdown and play action. That was that was uh, via the NFL Research Twitter account, which is invaluable. I think that Andy Reid can make Matt Moore into an average NFL quarterback. And I'm, I worry about the defense a little bit. I think that you, As you, you, should. you need Patrick Mahomes to win you these games, and they don't have Patrick Mahomes. But I think this will be at least a competitive game. And if you were just looking at the rosters, it shouldn't be. This is an Andy Reid Andy classic. What he did last week was just such, it was so it was fun awesome. to watch. He schemed, just- he schemed Matt Moore into a quarterback duel with Aaron Rodgers. That's good. I'm take my backup quarterback. I'm just going to run the shit out of play action. Just run the uh-huh. daylights out of it. Just every single time I can use it, I'm going to. Which, by the way, is what you should do when your quarterback isn't good. Or, <laughs> it, or is, is good. Hard. Or, is, or good. is good. Whatever. But especially if you have to manufacture offense with your quarterback, this is what a smart play caller would do. It's what the smart play callers do do. So I just... It, it's so easy, but it's just so frustrating that more people don't understand. Look at what the smart people do. Do it more often. Anyway, all the motion, the route combination designs, the throwback to Kelsey with like the double jet motion going in either direction. 
It's just stuff that no one else would think of. And he's leaning on so much, just the throws to the flat and just this team speed he has. It's such a resourceful game plan. And I think we're going to see the same thing against Minnesota. The problem is the Vikings linebackers are better than the Packers linebackers. Kendricks is having the best season of his career. He's playing extremely well. So I'll be curious to see if they can take advantage of just misdirection and all of that against the Minnesota defense. I'm also a little bit concerned about what you said about the Chiefs defense. This is, we've seen the game plan against this Chiefs defense. The Packers did it last week. It's let guys like Aaron Jones destroy you on the second level. And that's exactly what Minnesota is going to do. They have the personnel and the scheme to do that. They're going to run 30 screens on Sunday and the Chiefs are going to be able to do nothing about it. I mean, Kirk Cousins had the highest completion percentage in Vikings history last week. 88, 88.5%. That's Drew Brees-esque. He was awesome again. He's it's the so top, weird. He's the top passer in football against the Blitz. Like, Kirk Cousins is playing... This is a weird thing to say, but Kirk Cousins is not only playing up to his contract at the moment. He was the NFC uh, Player of the Month. But at some point, I mean, like... Kirk Cousins for $84 million over three years in relative to what Jared Goff costs, what Dak Prescott will cost. I think Dak Prescott's a very good quarterback. But at some point, if Kirk Cousins plays like this, he's not only worth it, he might be a little bit of kind of what we talked about where, you know, these these quarterback contracts age so quickly that he might be a bargain next year. He's been the best quarterback in the league over the last month. I don't even think it's a conversation. Russell Wilson for the season has been amazing. But for, for Kirk Cousins over the last month, He's played perfect football. I don't think that's an exaggeration. He's played as well as you can play quarterback. And in the aggregate, I assume that it's all going to come back to some level. Some like water will find its level. It's all going to come back to normal. But I've just been blown away. I mean, just the balls he's putting in certain spots. And the play-action game helps him, obviously. But it's not even a matter of that at this point. He's putting it wherever he wants. Yeah, I mean, and that, that's it. And he has, you know, look, he has the second biggest cap hit in the NFL this year. And I think that everyone is always going to talk about his fully guaranteed contract. But this contract is no longer a joke. This contract is no longer a joke. And I think that's that's impressive. And then beyond that, you know, look, the Vikings are can be real contenders. They're a really good football team. They built this Absolutely. team through defense. Kirk Cousins, by the way, next year becomes the eighth biggest contract hit. And all of a sudden, Ben Roethlisberger is 33.5. Matt Ryan is 33.5. Jared Goff is 36. Rodgers is 32. He's, Stafford is 31.5. So Flacco is 23, for God's sakes. So And then obviously, Dak Prescott will be on that list too. So listen, that contract has aged quite well relative to this. And I think that the Vikings can... Look, they're in, they're in a fringe... At this point, a fringe NFC contender, but an NFC contender nonetheless. Oh, I, it's, I definitely think they're going to make the playoffs. If this oh, no, no, no. Oh, they're I, a wild card. I'm in on them sure. making the playoffs. I think they're going to win the NFC North. I, I love this team. But I'm saying I'm not ready to put them with the Saints and the, I would say, probably the Packers as well, and then obviously the 49ers. That, that, that to me, right now, is the top three. I have the, the, the Vikings a cut below, but, but I'm, they're on my watch list here. I feel like they're getting to be in the conversation because the defense is still playing well. They have issues. I feel like Xavier Rhodes is a problem right now to the point where they might be better if he were on the bench. I think that Mike Hughes should just be playing now full-time. That, that's how bad it's gotten. But they still have a ton of talent on that side of the ball. I mean, we have Everson Griffin playing 
really well in a bounce back year going against a backup left tackle on Sunday, that's probably going to be an issue for KC. They have enough talent to sustain them over there, even if it's not you know, a dominant, transcendent defense that we've seen in recent years. The way they're playing on offense is remarkable. I mean, they look so good. The running game has been efficient to the point where I don't care that they're running it on first down all the time because we're ripping it off six yards a carry. It doesn't really matter. So I feel like they're scary. I, I think they absolutely can compete with any of those teams that you said. Yep, totally agree. Um, they are they are one of the most intriguing teams to watch over the next eight weeks. For sure. All right. And I think that the level that Kirk Cousins plays at and whether he can sustain this to some degree He's not going to play like this for the second half of the season. That's virtually impossible. But is it one step down from this? And if it is, I think they can still be very good. And they should get Adam Thielen back this week, I believe, after he missed last Thursday's game. So, again, that's a boon for them. All right, let's talk about the Bears at the Eagles. I didn't want to talk about this game. You wanted to talk about this game. Let's talk about it. Well, I want to dive into one particular point, which is we didn't get to talk about it on Sunday. Matt Nagy says he didn't even think about trying to get extra yards for the missed field oh goal. Oh, my God. Here's the problem with that, right? So, the Bears spent eight months, nine months, whatever it was, trying to fix their kicking situation. They had nine-guy tryouts. They showed videos to them. They, Matt Nagy wouldn't stop talking about it within the because he wanted to face it head-on within the facility. If you missed a field goal because you didn't trust your quarterback or your offense to run one more play to get you a few more yards without screwing up. Well, guess what, Robert? The problem was never the kicker. They're just coaching and playing scared. And I understand that. And when your quarterback is playing this poorly, and he actually played okay on Sunday compared to what else he was doing. I tweeted this after I wrote about it. When your quarterback doesn't throw a touchdown pass, has two back-breaking turnovers in the fourth quarter, goes over in the red zone in terms of actually productive completions. All of them did not gain more than half of what they needed to to get to the end zone. One of them was on third down, short of the goal line, and averages seven yards per attempt. And your thought is, hey, he played pretty good. Your quarterback probably isn't very good. I mean, it is, it's a brutal situation right now. And you're going back watching the film. A couple people pointed the plays out on Twitter, and there was a perfect design where Gabriel came across. I think it was Gabriel or Miller. I can't remember. It was in the slot on the left. They ran sort of like... Mm-hmm. It wasn't a switch vertical, but he moved across the field in order to kind of change the responsibilities. Wide open for a touchdown, air mails it. And it's just stuff like this where it still convinces me that if they had moderately good quarterback play, they would be able to be a sustainable offense, if not a successful one. I think the line is still a huge concern. I think that Fletcher Fletcher Cox is going to eat on Sunday, but I still feel like there's enough talent over there in the pass catching core and on the coaching staff where if you have a guy you can trust to make some throws, the throws are there to be had. So I don't know what there, else to, there is to say about it. We've talked about it so much. The running game got going a little bit last week. I don't think it'll do much against this Philly front. The passing game just has no rhythm whatsoever, no continuity whatsoever, and no consistency whatsoever because you cannot rely on your quarterback to make throws down after down. It's, it's really just not even that is this, complicated at this point. Is this a lost season for you? Yeah, absolutely it is. I mean, I said before the year coming in, nothing else mattered if the quarterback didn't get better. Mm -hmm. That was it. If he didn't get better, nothing else mattered because the defense was still going to be very good, but not as good as it was last year. They've gone from first to seventh in defensive DVOA. They were not going to be as healthy as they were last year. You've already put your right guard on IR. Akeem Hicks is on IR. This is how it goes. This is how it goes. You cannot sustain defensive success like that. So you're going to fall off a little bit. 
and you need the offense to pick it up. And the quarterback has gotten actively worse over the last two seasons. He's playing worse than he did as a rookie. If you look at the numbers, that's hard to believe. So now you move on. Now you have to move on. And I always knew coming in. If you that, have to move he, on from the quarterback. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Okay. okay. I, I just don't know how you can look the rest of your locker room in the eye and bring him back as your starter. But what year. do you do? Do you draft? Do you sign? Do you trade? We talked about this. I think that you try to go get one of those less than desirable available options. You know, we talked about Andy Dalton at the beginning of the show. I've been saying it for a month and now everyone else has caught on to it that he's been benched, but I've been saying it for a month that he was the guy I would want. Uh, it's him or it's, it's a Tannehill. It's a Cam Newton. It's a whatever. Uh, Newton is not. I don't really want to do that just because of a health situation. But uh, there are guys well, that are going to be available I'd in the rather, spring. I'd, I'd, take Cam, I'd take an injured Cam Newton right now. I wouldn't. Oh, I'd take an injured Cam Newton over Mitchell Trubisky. I okay. don't think I'd take an injured Cam Newton over Andy Dalton. So I, that's what I think they're going to have to do because they don't have a first-round pick. So we've talked a lot about this all the time. I, I don't think it's worth belaboring. It's, we're in the same spot right now that we were a week ago. I want to talk about the Eagles a little bit, though. Okay. Because that game against the Bills... The passing game wasn't great because the wind was just gusting. They couldn't get much down the field. But I feel like the rest of the NFC does not want to see this Eagles team down the stretch. The Eagles team we saw last week, where the coverage is a little bit better, albeit against a bad Bills passing offense. But the defensive line's controlling games. The offensive line is really starting to click in the run game. You have a rookie running back that might be starting to figure it out, and it really gives you a lot of juice. Deshaun Jackson gets back next week. I think this Philly team absolutely could steal that final wild card spot in the NFC before it's all said and done. I think their talent is such that they're still really dangerous. Talk me out of that. Listen, I, I'm with you. I, I look for reasons that the Eagles are good still. I think that the That's sec- probably what I'm doing. The sec- it's like what <laughs> yeah. we talked about. is what we do with, with the Vikings last year where I picked them to, I think, either go to the Institute Championship game or something like that. I remember. But... I remember you know, week nine being like, hey, they still got it. They still got it a little bit. And uh, maybe we're just looking for reasons for that. I think that their secondary is it's still fatally flawed. I just don't see that getting better. Um, I was just talking. Well, they're getting healthy now. The fact that they got Jalen Mills back. Sure. It's not as banged up as it was. I know Jalen Mills isn't the savior of anything, but it's not as banged up as it was. And I think it's going to be tough just because that Seattle's in front of them. Seattle is the team I think they can catch. I feel like Minnesota is playing so well. They also lost the tiebreaker. They play Seattle before the season's over. Mm-hmm. You win that game, you're one game back with the tiebreaker. Yep. So I absolutely think it's still in play for them. So I think that I was just talking to an, a, a Ringer Eagles fan, uh, not Chris Ryan, on the lot here. And they were talking about how they think that the only solution would have been to, to, to pay the price for Ramsey. And I'm curious, seeing what this team looks like right now, would you have done that trade? No, I wouldn't have traded two first-round picks for Jalen Ramsey, period. I, I think I would I have tried to go that. see what Chris Harris was available for. I think I agree with that. And also, we had to do the weird Patrick Peterson rumor mill thing again for like three days. That's the guy I thought they were going to try to go get. That's a guy I'm surprised was not traded at the trade. Again, though. they're just not. He's the A.J. Green of, of, of Arizona. Is every three days there's a report that the, the teams are Oh, no, I'm talking about him. Chris Harris, not oh, Patrick Peterson. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm surprised Chris Harris wasn't dealt. I'm not surprised Patrick Peterson wasn't dealt. Yeah. That those guys are the face of their franchise and have been for years. I mean, Larry Fitzgerald also, but I mean, Patrick Peterson is, is that defense 
So, I mean, I think the AJ Green comparison is apt. But Chris Harris is at the end of his contract. It's a bad team. He clearly doesn't want to be there. I'm surprised someone didn't go try to get him. I'm sure the price was a little bit too high. But if you're Denver, again, why, do you, why not take a second-round pick for Chris Harris? You're, uh, you're losing him anyway. I think, you get a third-round compensatory two years from now? I think I know why. Huh. It's because John Elway doesn't know what he's doing. Yes, that's fair. Okay. That, that brings us back to our points at the beginning of the show. All right. Do you want to get to the, prime, the, the premier game of the week here? Yes, I do. I'm so excited about this game. I am so pumped. I, I love that we've been trying to find out all that we're talking about Patriots Ravens, by the way, if this, that's not clear. I've been, it's, it's been so fun to watch people try to figure oh, out I thought what you were talking about, going uh, to do. I thought you were talking about Jets Dolphins. Yeah, it's Jets Dolphins is definitely the one I'm keeping an eye on. I am really excited to see, I think as everyone that cares about the machinations and nerdery of football, what the Patriots are going to do, because this is a team that for the most part has played a ton of man coverage. They blitzed at a super high rate. They've sent zero blitzes at a super high rate. Mm-hmm. It's not what you want to do against a mobile quarterback. It is I not. just think that that's the way you get absolutely gashed. So what do they end up doing? Do they try to just play a ton of zone, confuse yeah. him, play some weird cover three variations that they really like? What does the front look like against Lamar in that offense? Do they play some of those tight fronts that have worked against spread offenses in the past? I just think the answers to all of those questions are going to be Absolutely fascinating over a three-hour period. Doug Farrar tweeted out, you know, there was, I guess some people were talking about how maybe you should spy Lamar Jackson. Don't do that. For the love of God, don't do that. Um, Doug made the point. He said that if you, first of all, this, we know this by now, but Lamar Jackson's faster than linebackers. And what Doug, Absolutely, what, and especially the Patriots Doug, linebackers. Doug's, sure. line, Doug's line on Twitter was Hulking. that, Doug's line on Twitter was that um, he made Bobby Wagner look like Vince Wilfork. <laughs> and which I, I thought was pretty funny. That but is really good. I, I think that, that that was something when I talked to the Bengals trends coordinator in preseason, we talked about building a defense to take down Lamar Jackson. And part of the reason that they hired their linebackers coach um, was because he was from Mississippi State and he understood kind of where their game football was going. That, that was one of the, you know, obviously he's a great coach and all that, but that they thought that might that might help them as well. And so I think that one of the things that they realized, the Bengals, um, was that the, the Lamar Jackson's faster than everybody but the cornerbacks, essentially, and maybe some safeties. And maybe some and cornerbacks. So, and maybe, a lot oh, no, of the cornerbacks. Yeah, certainly. We still don't know how fast Lamar Jackson is in, on a 40-time basis, but I know how fast he looks on a football field, and he's the fastest guy. So one of the things I've, I've been saying for the past couple of years is that a— a young quarterback doesn't graduate to being anything other than a young quarterback. No, Bill Belichick throws the sink at, the, at them. And we saw it last year with Mahomes when he went into New England in that incredible shootout. They were able to confuse him early. Remember, he threw probably the worst interception of his career uh, early on in that game where he just didn't see a linebacker. And I think that that, I think Belichick will be really good at confusing Lamar Jackson, but I also think Lamar Jackson just has the athleticism and the instincts and the skill, and he's just a good enough, he's just a good quarterback. And I think he'll be able to, um, I think that the the chess match between what Belichick throws at him, what Lamar Jackson's able to do to adjust is one of the most fascinating things of 2019. Yeah. And I think we're going to learn maybe not a lot about Lamar Jackson because the Patriots defense is just so good, but it's like we were talking about last week. I mean, I wrote about it for next week. It's just the idea of how we evaluate these quarterbacks and at what point in their development we see them because it's not about the highs as much as it is 
getting rid of the lows. It's about making sure your weaknesses don't torpedo who you are. And I think that we're going to find out what Bill Belichick thinks Lamar Jackson's weaknesses are. Yep. And watching that back and forth is going to be great. I mean, I just think that it's a perfect sort of matchup for where the league is right now and where the league might be going. It's going to be so much fun to watch. Fired up. All right. Let's get to me, let's get to me geeking out. Let's get to your sneaky truth. I will start us off. Uh, mine's about tonight. I mean, I, we will usually save something for the Thursday night game. We don't really have to. I just want people to watch what that 49ers offense looks like right now. Watching them last week against Carolina, this is a Carolina team that has a really good defense. <laughs> I mean, one of the best defenses in the league all season. And the Niners just made them look silly. And I know the defense played what great, all of that stuff. But watching the misdirection, the levels of misdirection uh, with – that offense right now is just amazing. I mean, every single play, there's a blocker coming across the formation. There's some sort of faked screen pass and a throwback. There's a guy in the flat to pull a linebacker out. And after handing the ball off, Jimmy Garoppolo is actually faking passes to those guys. (laughs) They're just so hard to defend right now. And I know that seems simplistic, but it's like we talk about with Andy Reid. He just makes you, he makes himself hard to play against. And that's what Kyle Shanahan is doing right now. I know the defense has really carried them, but this is an offense with, that's played without its two starting tackles, without any sort of high end receiver talent before last week when they got Emmanuel Sanders. And it's still one of the top 10 offenses in the NFL. And I just think that it's a, a huge part of that is what they've been able to do with just playing with defenders' eyes, making you think the ball is somewhere else. And again, just making it really hard to play against them. Yeah, I mean, this is, they're one of the stories of the season. And I'm excited to see them on Thursday night in primetime. I think it's not exactly the sexiest matchup. But, you know, I think Kingsbury does enough things to where this this will be a little bit interesting. I'm, I'm, just, Absolutely. I'm just excited to see the Niners when I have, you know, four hours just to focus on them, quite frankly. That's exactly what I was saying earlier today. They're just such a fun team to watch. I, I just and get enjoyment on a football level from watching them do some of the things that they do. And I think tonight is going to be no exception. All right, here's my sneaky truth. First of all, I want to start with a stat. It's from Rich Semini. Jets at Dolphins is the first game, <laughs> the first game in which both teams enter with a negative 100-point differential or worse and both are fewer oh than eight God. games into the season. There is a case to be made this is the worst game in history. Having said that, that is not my sneaky truth. My sneaky truth is defending the Jets, okay? I'm ready to dunk on the Jets at all times. Adam Gase is a bad coach. The Joe Douglas hire, the timing of it was bad because, I mean, look, they did the best they could in June when they're hiring a, a GM, but why would you let Mike McCain have another draft, another free agency after he had already proven he couldn't handle that? Now, Here's what happened. So Jamal Adams, there's some calls about Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams does not like this. He says, I'm on the Tom Brady level. I'm on the Aaron Donald level. They don't take calls about those guys. Here's my sneaky truth. They should take calls on those guys. Jamal Adams, even though he's not on that level, he's never gotten to a Super Bowl. He's never played in a playoff game. I don't think most people around the league, I think Jamal Adams is a hell of a player. Let me preface it with this. Jamal Adams is a great, great, great defensive back. Having said that, when you get to that level, I think now we understand that teams are just going to call. There's a price on a superstar. I mean, Khalil Mack was traded. Jalen Ramsey was traded. 
I mean, Laramie Tunsil is not that, but he was worth two first-round picks. Superstars are getting dealt in this league. And if you're the Rams and someone says, hey, we want to talk about Aaron Donald, you should take that call because it's maybe it's four first-round picks and, and Patrick Mahomes is trying to throw at you. You don't know. I mean, I just think the idea that Jamal Adams thinks that you shouldn't entertain trade ideas for a great player in this day and age when people like Jalen Ramsey are on the move or Khalil Mack is on the move. I understand it was a different situation because those guys wanted to move and wanted new deals or whatever. But I think that this is a new NFL where superstars can get dealt and someone like Jamal Adams certainly can get dealt. If the Cowboys wanted to try to godfather the offer, godfather offer the Jets into trading Jamal Adams, that's fine. Jamal Adams, it's a touch situation. He obviously doesn't like his bosses right now. That's fine. But what I'm saying is, is that to say that you reach a point you're untouchable in the NFL is just not true. I'm with you. I, I 100% agree. I, I think it's just silly to think that anybody is available for the right package. That's just how it's going. And, and we've seen that. It's When Jalen Ramsey can get traded, you can get traded. So it's how the sport works. It's how the league works more than ever. So no one should be surprised. All right. I think that's all we got, buddy. It's Halloween. What are you, what are you being this year? What are you going uh, as? I've been the same thing for 20 years. Um, I throw Horace Grant goggles on, and I'm just weekend Horace Grant. That's a fantastic move. How about all these NFL players with these elaborate costumes? Mm. How do you feel about this? Well, the problem is, is that I I'm just athletes. Cause Carl I'm like Anthony a, Towns did it so too. I'm like a Belichick type. I need to be flexible at all times. Right. So like, if, what if I had to go to a meeting right now and I'm dressed like as Batman? And so that's why you, you have, you have <laughs> a, be amazing. you have a, you have to have like a horse grant goggles or just like one thing that makes the costume. Otherwise you might get stuck in a bad situation and you're just like, Oh, Oh, like I have to, do this thing. This news broke. I have to go on video and I'm dressed as like, you know, the comedian Gallagher and I'm smashing. I have a watermelon for some reason. I'm smashing I mean, I it. think that would be fantastic content, but that's just me. I haven't done Halloween in a really long time. I haven't done any Halloween parties even on the weekend. It's just not something I've ever been into. I think I might try to do Halloween soon. Maybe one of these years. I'll try to find well, yeah. a funny. I think you funny should probably costume. do it tonight if you're going to do it. Don't do it like in two weeks. Uh, it is snowing here. So uh, I will not be participating in Halloween. It has been snowing all day <sighs> and I don't, it doesn't look like it's letting up anytime soon. I feel bad for the kids, but for me, I'm going to sit on the couch, drink some hot chocolate and perhaps watch a scary movie. The Cardinals defense. <laughs> That's going to be on the top TV. I'm thinking more like midsummer on the bottom TV, but yes. All right. All right, guys. As always, thank you so much for listening to the ringer NFL show on the ringer podcast network. We will be back Sunday night. I can promise you. 